insurance provider being put on hold by anyone at all had undermined his creative momentum. This is Il Papa calling from the Vatican. Children, it is cocktail time. Christina was a cradle Episcopalian who had gone to a Catholic school run by a French order of nuns in North Carolina. Rudy was a non-practicing Jew who had gone to a Catholic gymnasium in Vienna until age 14 when the Nazis came. Rudy always liked to tell how there were two Jews and one Protestant in his class at the gymnasium, and the Protestant had the worst of it by far. So Rudy and Christina shared an affectionate fascination with popes, especially this one, with his hulking masculine shoulders before they began to stoop and his non-stop traveling, in all the languages. What did I think, that we had forever? Christina asked herself, sipping the gin and soda she now made for herself. Often Rudy had interrupted himself in mid-sentence to explode at her. You're not listening. What was I listening to? The ups and downs of my own day's momentum. We were both artists, as the real estate lady who sold us our first house pronounced it. She herself had been married to an artist. Her husband's novel had been runner-up for the Pulitzer, she told us, the year Anthony Adverse won. Her name was Odette, as in Swan's Downfall. Rudy was 52, and I was 39, and neither of us knew, until Odette carefully explained it to us, that you could buy a house without having all the money to pay for it up front. Christina would arrange herself on the black leather sofa they had splurged on in their midlife prosperity, a combined windfall of a bequest from Rudy's late uncle in Lugano, with whom Rudy had played chess, and a lucrative two-book contract for Christina in those bygone days when there were enough competing publishers to run up the auction bid. The black leather sofa, which the Siamese cats had ruined within six months. She would cross her ankles on the Turkish cushions on top of the burled wood coffee table and train her myopic gaze on Rudy's long, craggy face and crest of white hair floating reassuringly from his stickly armchair on the other side of the fireplace. An editor had once told Rudy he looked like a happy Beckett. Christina felt rich in her bounty. The workday was over, and she had this powerful companion pulsing his attention at her and her whole drink to go. They raised their cocktail glasses to each other. So what did you do today? She usually jumped in first, knowing he would tend to her novelist's gripes or breakthroughs later. I finished the next movement of my piano sonata. If you like, I'll play it for you later. Oh, and I had a call from Henning. He wants to conduct the choral version of Night Thoughts in Boston. I didn't know you had a choral version of Night Thoughts. That's because you don't listen to me. That's not a fair statement. It's just that I can't keep track of all your works. I keep track of yours. Yeah, well, I only have ten novels and two story collections. You have hundreds of pieces. Please don't ruin our evening. Tell me about Henning. That's wonderful he wants to do it in Boston. Yes, 
Maybe we'll go if I'm still here. Rudy blew up quickly, but he blew over almost as quickly. Christina marinated her resentments, then simmered them over a low flame for days. At other cocktail hours, they would sit facing each other in silence on either side of the fireplace, two yards apart between his knees and hers. Christina had measured the distance after his death when she was wandering around taking inventories of all she missed about him. They would sip their drinks and she would sigh, and he would brood at her from under his eyebrows until one of them asked, What are you thinking? I was thinking about my new book, she might say. It's no good. I think it's died on me. And that might get them going for a whole evening, through a refill and then a bottle of wine with dinner, after which he would offer to read what she had so far. And she would creep.